Please be aware the red fire danger warning is in force. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. My co-presenter this morning is Paul Zimmerman. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Danny. In our main topic today, we're going to be discussing recycling after an audit report found that recycling firms applying for government subsidies may need to wait up to 18 months for approval. Critics say this long delay may make it difficult for embattled recyclers to stay afloat. The government also plans to phase out roadside recycling bins and give the orange rubbish bins a facelift. The new style rubbish bins will have a smaller opening to try and stop people using them to throw away large items. So what can we do to help the local recycling industry? Will the new rubbish bins achieve their purpose or will people just dump garbage directly on the streets instead? After 9.45, we're going to be talking about Hong Kong students falling ratings in um, reading. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can give us a call. The number there... 233-88266. Joining us initially in our Queensway studio is Kenny Lamb. Kenny Lamb is a coordinator of uh, Love Recycling Plus. We'll be joined by other guests shortly. Uh, Paul. Yeah, no, Kenny, Beatrice Hugh is coming on later. Sasan Chung is coming on later. I've worked with all three on the recycling issues. In fact, Kenny Lamb's bin is outside my house uh, for uh, for recycling. He's putting his thumb up now for the, for the listeners. I thought they were removing recycling bins. They're removing sure. recycling bins, but, uh, you know, kind of you can contact Kenny and he will put a recycling bin outside your home and he will collect the recyclables. So, Kenny, Kenny Lamb, welcome to Backchat. Uh, what is the future? The government's removing its own recycling bins. What's the future of recycling bins in Hong Kong? Good morning, Danny. Good morning, Paul. Uh, yes, I think the government realised the three-colour bins don't actually work on the, uh, on the curbside, so I think there's a better way forward. But like Paul said this morning, I think uh, the way to do it is we need to find a better way to be able to collect recycling. Uh, from from the local residents, uh, a better polu- uh, solution for this is uh, is needed. So, so in, and then the government also wants to remove these uh, these refuse bins and reduce them. They've already reduced quite a lot of them. Uh, in some locations, where I think the environmentalists are quite happy uh, the removal of the re- the refuse bins from uh, from the mountains uh, from the uh, um, country parks. Have you been aware of that, that the uh, government is reducing these uh, refuse bins all over Hong Kong? Uh, yes, I think this is part of the government's initiative to try to get people to throw away less rubbish and to recycle more. But uh, I think uh, the bottom line is the government will need to have a better system, uh, better logistics for people to be able to recycle as well. How, how, how would you envisage that on a, on a grand scale? You've been, you know, for the benefit of the listeners, uh, Kenny has been uh, picking up recycling materials from lots of locations in Hong Kong for a few years now. So, but, but if you want to do that on a big scale, like a, across Hong Kong, what would be your recommendation to government? Well, I think, um, first of all, I think the education has to go, uh, you know, hand in hand with the actual um, uh, abilities to recycle. What I find from my operations in the past two and a half years is that uh, a lot of the local people don't have the habit of recycling and also they don't know the benefits and the, the each 
each one's uh, each person's responsibility to recycle so you know they just treat everything as rubbish and they throw them away so i think for the government to have a kind of grander scale uh it has to come in two ways first is to educate the locals of the needs of recycling and also uh, you know is our own responsibility to do a little bit more and at the same time the government will have to have the uh, the system in place for people to to recycle easily and i think that's the word easily is the word because at the moment in hong kong there aren't that many uh, easily accessible recycling uh, points i mean the green shops are uh, springing up all over the all over the places are a good point but you know, sometimes it's uh, quite hard to to save all your stuff and then take them down to the the recycling points in Hong Kong. So I think we need to have more local um, collection points, um, which will enable people to recycle easily. And then uh, another thing is that we need to be able to convince the people that the recycling uh, that are collected either by the government or you know by subcontractors are actually being recycled. And uh, I think one of the issues in Hong Kong is that we uh, local people have lost a bit of trust in recycling um, because of you know what what's been happening with the three colour beans in the past. Sorry, can you expand? What, why do you say people have lost trust with uh, recycling? Uh, well, from my experience, is that uh, the three colour beans we have on the curbside, a lot of the times uh, they have been seen being um, you know taken out and then put into the general rubbish bin. And um, from my uh, experience with my customers is that they stop recycling because they see their effort um, wasted. So I think uh, the green shops, for example, is a really good example of uh, the government doing the recycling correctly because there are people there to help uh, the general public uh, in terms of recycling to tell them, you know, whether this can be recycled, whether something is clean enough and so on. So. I think the lost trust came from um, the past that the recycling are not really being uh, treated properly or it, uh, as a matter of fact is that sometimes they are contaminated. So when people go and collect those recyclings, um, you know, when it's mixed up with food waste um, and they, they, they can't really be dealt with as recycling, so they will be treated as rubbish. So we need to put the trust back into the society and let people know, you know, we are going to do recycling and we are going to do it properly. And I think that goes back to my first point about education is that um, what I found from what I do uh, for the past two years is that a lot of people don't understand recycling needs to be clean. And I think that's the fundamental point we have to educate is that if we want to recycle something, uh, whether it's a plastic bag, a plastic bottle or a, a, a tin food um we need to clean it before people like me or the recycling factories can actually process it. So it's a really uh, important point to, to get across. What surprised me with your service is that uh, you said, well, uh, but you came to my place and you, you put that green bin there. You said to me, well, put in all the recyclables. As long as they're clean, they can be completely mixed because you, you separating it, you won't do a good job. And my facility can do the job better. And I rather have all the recyclables mixed as long as they're clean. That's, that's your strategy. Do you think that's a strategy that should be applied for the all of Hong Kong? That we basically only have two bags. One is our wet waste contaminated you know the baby diapers and any food waste left and cooking materials and so on and the other with all the recyclable materials yes that's a that's a really good point actually from what from what i did before um i realized that a lot of the recycling i collected they are they are mixed anyway because when i first started my uh, my operation i actually offer kind of a cheaper 
a version of my service. If you sort your recycling, and I collect them in you know different bags, and I realized after a while that you know people don't actually know um, different type of material, especially with uh, modern packaging. A lot of the stuff looks like paper, but it's actually plastic and so on. And I think in Hong Kong, it's easier to start with a system where everything is mixed up, and then to be processed at a central location. Um, you talk about the recyclables, n mixing up not the waste and the recyclables, but the recyclables can be correct. In one correct. Bag. Yes. So, so all the recycling materials, for example, plastic, metal, and paper. Um, first, we need to get people to have the habit of recycling. Um, so, before they got used to the idea, uh, you know, we can we can improve and we can move on to have different color bins and so on. But I think at the moment, Hong Kong is not quite. Um, uh, in line with recycling yet. So I always try to say, you know, we have to try to start uh, learn how to crawl before we can walk. And I say that because I think Hong Kong is far behind some other countries uh, like Japan or Taiwan that we don't even have a recycling habit yet. So that's why my service let people put everything in the recycling bin because I think uh, we can do do the job better at the depot rather than trying to collect things that already mixed up. Um, you know, it, it creates another problem uh, is that Hong Kong is limited in terms of spaces. Mm -hmm. So if you try to get people to have three, you know, four or even just three different color bins to collect paper, plastic and, and, uh, and metal and so on, they don't have the space for it. And unlike, you know, in, in overseas where they, get, they have space for bins and so on. So I think uh, my idea is that first to get people to have the habit of recycling, make it easy for them to recycle. So, for example, we collect from outside your door once a week and so on. And once the society has got onto the habit of recycling, then we can kind of like implement different color beans and uh, try to try to move on and try to improve our process of recycling. And, and your depot system, uh, is that something you can see that can be applied throughout Hong Kong? I mean, you've got one depot and your area, I think, is primarily Sai Kung. But uh, is, is that something that you see that we need depots, sorting depots throughout Hong Kong? So we need space for that and instead of space in the kitchens and space in the buildings? Yes, that's correct. And I think one of the presentations you did, Paul, actually, about Smurfs, uh, small material recovery, facilities. I think there's something the government will also need to look into. Um, when I drive, when I drive uh, to collect recyclables, I always see spaces uh, kind of in the public area which can be used as a smurf, a small sorting facilities, for example, under highway bridges and stuff like that. So places that, you know, are not really accessible by the public but can be very useful if we can have these places as a sorting area for recyclables in the future when we you know when we are starting recycling more and so on mm. because one of my difficulty for running my operation is that everything i collect from saikong clearwater bay or hong kong island i have to transport them back to my depot in xiongsoi and in terms of the time the cost and so on it's just not easy and also i can see that all the green art shops in hong kong at the moment all the materials that are taken from those shops uh, are not kind of like um uh, in bulk. So what happened is that all the plastic bottles, they have a lot of empty space in them and so on. So in the future, when the volume increases, hopefully, you know, when people 
starting to recycle more when the rubbish charge come in place, we need some places to be able to package these and plastic compress bottles, the, uh, the volume, compress yeah. them and so on, and reduce the time and the transportation costs. So I think this is another thing we need to look into as well in terms of uh, uh, areas in, you know, government areas where we can use to help uh, the recycling industry. Okay, we're discussing the uh, state of the recycling industry in Hong Kong on the back of a, a critical audit commission report that said uh, that um, funding, uh, government funding for um, recycling can some applications can sometimes take uh, up to 18 months and also the news that uh, uh, the government is uh, changing the shape of rubbish bins to make it more difficult to dump rubbish on the streets. You just heard Kenny Lamb from uh, Love Recycling uh, Plus and we're now also joined by uh, Beatrice Sue. Beatrice Sue is a senior public affairs officer at Greeners Hon- uh, Action and Another friend of Paul's, I believe. Yes, uh, Beatrice, how are you this morning? Hello, good morning. Are you happy with the new bins? Oh, yes, of course. We welcome the new design of the, uh, of the uh, rubbish bin because they have smaller opening. And I noticed that they also have a lock. So that it to make, it's to make sure that when the uh, municipal solid waste charging will be in place by April next year and people will be... Um, uh, less easier for illegal dumping, so we actually welcome the new design. But we'll be concerned as well. It's number one. Uh, we hope that the number of uh, rubbish bins will be re- further reduced. Although we don't know that uh, the exact number of the um, rubbish bins and the distribution over the territory. So I think the government can let us know more about the distribution of the bins. So um, we're actually looking for um, reducing number of the bins. And number two is that uh, the management of the uh, rubbish bins, since I I saw that there's a lock there, so I'm not sure if opening and closing every day and there might be um, kind of, uh, I'm not sure how they're going to manage if the lock will work well, you know. So um, I think the maintenance is also the key of the new sign as well. Mm. The street cleaner, <coughs> street cleaner's not very happy. They say it's much more difficult to empty the rubbish bins than if they're locked. <laughs> maybe oh, they, they've already said together, that so in public, yeah. Uh, maybe they won't be able to at all, right? And you'll just have rubbish festering in the bins, uh, Beatrice Hsu. Yes, correct. It means that the new design makes people... Um, have more difficulty if they wanted to illegal dumping, but there are also problems that they uh, people may all, if those who wanted to illegal dumping they could also put their garbage beside the bin. So I think besides from uh, the new design, having new design of the rubbish bin, I think there should be also more monitoring nearby the rubbish bin, and we also think that there should be more manpower of rate in, uh, for uh, having more spot checks to make sure that there will be less illegal dumping in the future. Mm. What does that mean? You're going to have a CCTV camera next to every... Are you going to have to remove a lot of rubbish bins then, aren't you, to to make that practical? Maybe the two things go together. You remove so many rubbish bins that it's practical to monitor the remaining ones. Is that is that the idea? Uh, CCTV, I think, is one of the solutions. We, said, we didn't say it's a must, but I think more important is that we have a kind of enforcement team to have... Um, more spot checks, I think, uh, more frequently every day to make sure that uh, whenever people do illegal dumping, whether it's beside the rubbish bin or whether they put something inside the rubbish bin, which they have to uh, after the uh, implementation of the uh, municipal solid waste charging, that people have to use designated bags and designated labels. And so I think these uh, teams, they should be able to spot these illegal dumping in the future. So it's not just about the new designs. If they're without a very um, effective uh, law enforcement, so I think that uh, the new designs will only be like 
only help a little in the future. So, Beatrice, what is a good strategy for placement of bins? Where would you remove them and where would you add them? Um, you know, when I see people eating fast food at fast food restaurants where you can stand in the street like in Mongkok, I, I would think that you need a lot of bins just standing outside close to these restaurants because people kind of half finished their food and they dumped them somewhere. Uh, but in the country parks, we have removed them and that really worked well after a while. Uh, the, the waste in the country park has gone down. So is there a, a good and bad strategy for bin placement? Well, actually, we think that these new designs of the bins, they, I, I, we hope that it could be implemented over the territory as quickly as possible. Mm. And then uh, number two, I think that you've mentioned just now that, uh, about the countryside. And we also think that... Uh, Rather than increasing the uh, new designs of this rubbish bin, we also think that there should be more uh, recycling uh, facilities, particularly in the uh, countryside, because we think that the countryside may be also a, a black spot for illegal dumping as well. And But we think that these recycling uh, facilities should be well monitored as well. Uh, of course, we think that it's good to have CCTV. And if it's a kind of indoor environment so that... Uh, probably may have a door so that it could be locked and so some only certain kind of uh, people that maybe they have to open the door with their octopus card or maybe their CCTV monitoring to make sure that people are, will not be dumping uh, anything illegal there at the um, at the recycling uh, probably station so we think that uh, they w this will work better in countryside. Kenny, do you share Beatrice's suggestions there for the for how to improve the public kind of uh, refuse and recycling collection systems? Uh, yes, I do, and I also agree that um, the d the new design of bins might not necessarily work because if people uh, are going to dump rubbish, uh, you make a smaller bin, they'll just dump it somewhere else. Um, they'll just find a back street of somewhere uh, where it's not next to the bin. So, uh, I, I, I so think. So, what's the solution then? People are going to dump it somewhere. We can't sort of have uh, sort of twenty-four hour CCTV across the whole of Hong Kong, can we? Uh, we think that even though there's a twenty-four hour CCTV, like to be honest, that you can't look at the videos all the time because yeah. even though you've seen, uh, okay, someone doing illegal dumping in the CCTV, it's kind of, um, you can't find the people, uh, you can't find the guy out because you're a little bit, uh, usually you don't do it on the spot, right? So it'll be kind of delayed and even though you have CCTV, you can't spot out that guy because it will, it will be some time ago already. So we think that, as I just said, uh, there should be a law enforcement team like doing frequent spot checks instead of uh, like kind of the government's risk management uh, approaches like whenever they've got complaint they go there for spot checks which we think that it's not proactive enough Okay, well, as a district councillor, I can tell you in Pok Fulham, uh, we had the same issue. You are uh, still a district councillor. <laughs> I'm still, I am still, I'm still for a couple of days a district councillor. We, you know, when, whenever we have uh, uh, people illegally uh, dumping, then the government sends somebody to clean it up. But enforcement, it was light. So, um, you know, actually opening the bags and finding envelopes with phone numbers on them to identify where it came from was something that I did. But it was a bit of an unusual um, action to take. But one, one of the proposals that we made to government was, haven't seen implemented yet is we have so many street cleaners why why don't we give the street cleaners a camera and they can photograph the locations and report them internally uh, so that there can be a targeted monitoring based on the because they know the streets uh, well, that's, they, they a, every that's day a very interesting idea uh, yeah. Peter Sue? Uh, we think that um, we also suggest that there will be more reporting system for example like um, 
cleaner, cleaner workers, maybe property management, they could have a more uh, better complaint system rather than the app, which the environmental department said that there will be an app for reporting illegal dumping, right? But we still haven't seen the app. Uh, like, I think there's only four months away from the implementation of the law, but we still haven't seen the app. And what we are looking for is kind of a WhatsApp group or maybe a, a more district uh district-wide complaint system, probably, like when we saw the example in UK, for the, uh, the UK's police website, they have a kind of uh, reporting for illegal dumping. So I think it could be part of the way to solve this problem, is that if you have a more uh, comprehensive reporting system, and I think it helps spot out the illegal dumping as well. Okay. Well, you start to get records of the locations, so yeah, that's uh, it could be very helpful. Okay, let, let's bring in a comment from a listener, and if you want to uh, comment on the uh, recycling industry, uh, rubbish disposal, any related issues, just email us at backchat at rthk or you can go to our Facebook page, backchat on rthk radio free, and leave a comment there. Um, Mark emailing saying, uh, first, I would like to declare that I use uh, Kenny's service. That's uh, Kenny Lamb, our guest from uh, Love Recycling Plus. Uh, I live in Saikung and have found his service is brilliant. The government should learn from his business. One thing the government could do is to, to encourage this business is to offer a tax allowance for people paying for service like that offered by Kenny's Love Recycling. Uh, Kenny Lamb, and also we have who's making thumbs up uh, from, the other <laughs> yeah, like from the other yeah. studio. Of course he does. Um, we haven't really talked about government funding. I mean, one of the reasons we're doing this show today was there was quite a critical audit commission report about uh, uh, the recycling fund that the government set up and that saying that um, uh, government is very slow in dispersing funding. I mean, has that been your experience? Uh, well, I haven't actually gone as far as getting the government's funding. Oh, so you uh, haven't I, even tried? I, I had a look at the recycling fund and I think the only one I could apply for is the, the capital fund funding bit. Mm. So my problem when I first looked at it is that I need to, uh, pay the money first. So, for example, if I need, want to get an electric uh, van for doing my collections, I need to first pay for the van, and then we claim uh, half the money for the from the recycling fund, which is not possible for you know for startup business to have uh, the capital outlay and so on. And I saw that the process was very lengthy, uh, lots of forms to fill that out. That is so basically on. what this audit commission report was saying. So you're, I mean, you seems like you're a fairly successful recycler, and we just have praise from a listener. And from, from your perspective, that this government fund is of no use to you, really. Uh, for small startup like myself, no, there's not much use to to me. So what would you like the government to be doing? Uh, we we like the government to encourage more businesses like myself to try to help uh, the recycling industry in Hong Kong. So they have a kind of more a variety of uh, funding that we can or, or ways we can apply for fundings. Uh, for example, you know I, I need I need a bigger depot and so on. So maybe we have some kind of support in terms of that, rather than a big capital outlay and try to claim the money back afterwards. Okay, uh, let's go back to Beatrice Sue has to leave in a couple of moments. Uh, tell tell yeah. us yeah, what, what you think the government should be doing in terms of supporting recycling, Beatrice Sue. Uh, I think instead of supporting recycling, number one, I think the uh, public education is more important. For example, uh, we we have uh, promoting clean recycling for quite a few years, and we think that people are more alert than that. And since, uh, for example, like we are collecting uh, paper cartons, and we saw that the uh, 
the recyclables are actually improving and people have more alertness on clean recycling. But we think that sometimes the people might have, uh, you know, they, they, they kind of uh, neglecting, you know, clean recycling as well. For example, like we found that some people are actually dumping food or even dumping uh, facial masks or something that should, shouldn't be there in a recycle bin. So I think in the future, the government should have more support on, on that. And I think also in the recycling, uh, the recycling facilities have to be improved. For example, like the Green Act Community Centers, I think the government should add more station for that to make sure that when people want to go recycling and dump less and they have somewhere to, uh, uh, you know, to recycle their recyclables, um, I think they're also providing more information to uh, the citizens or maybe the residents around the community and to let them know that where they can uh, send the recyclables to. Uh, like, for example, it could be quite different. It could vary in uh, different districts. So I think the government should have more territory-wide support on that, mm. especially, you know, on the three ends buildings, which means uh, those they have no property okay. management at all. Right. Yes. Okay, well, thank, thank you very much indeed. Uh, that was uh, Good suggestions. Beatrice, Beatrice Sue, uh, Senior Public Affairs Officer at uh, Green, Greener's Action. Um, but uh, stay with us. We're going to be continuing uh, the discussion about uh, recycling and rubbish disposal in Hong Kong after the news with a new guest joining us as well. Uh, later on, we're also going to be talking about a uh, drop in Hong Kong students' uh, rankings in, in reading, probably largely as a result of the pandemic. If you've got any thoughts on either topic, email us, backchat at rthk.hk. Go to our Facebook page, backchat on rthk radio free, and comment there. The weather forecast um, is going to be very dry during the day. Temperature's going to rise to 24 degrees, currently 20 degrees. Relative humidity, 39%. <laughs> It's 9.30. Here's Barry O'Rourke with the news. The government says it disagrees with ratings firm Moody's decision to change the credit outlook for Hong Kong to negative from stable, adding that the SAR's close integration with the mainland should be considered a plus. Moody's also affirmed Hong Kong's long-term issuer rating at AA3. Police say three people have been confirmed dead after officers responded to an active shooter situation at the University of Nevada in Las Vegas. The city's sheriff says the suspected shooter has also been found dead, taking the total death toll to four. And the United Nations Secretary-General, Antonio Guterres, has written a letter to members of the Security Council, again stressing the urgent need for a ceasefire in Gaza, as the situation was deteriorating rapidly, with potentially irreversible implications for Palestinians and for security in the Middle East. More news on the hour from RTHK. People who are patriotic and have an affection for Hong Kong and who are capable and aspire to serve can make our community better. The District Council ordinary election is just three days away. Remember to bring your identity card and choose your preferred candidate. Let's build a better community together. Cast your vote at DC Election for a Better Community. When the local seasonal influenza activity increases, if we fail to strengthen our immunity against flu in time, the risk of contracting flu could shoot up. Getting the flu jab can boost the immunity against flu and reduce the risks of severe complications and death. Don't drop your guard against flu, especially for persons aged 50 or above, children, pregnant women, and residents of residential care homes. Don't wait. Get a jab. Keep flu away. 
Welcome back to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. My co-presenter this morning is Paul Zimmerman. In the uh, second half of the show, we're going to be initially continuing our discussion about uh, the recycling industry and uh, rubbish disposal in Hong Kong. That's on the back of a critical audit commission report about how long it takes um, for uh, up to 18 months for recycling firms to apply for a government subsidy and also the the news that the government is uh, phasing out roadside recycling bins um, and uh, introducing smaller openings on other rubbish bins as we move towards... uh, um, charging for uh, disposable waste. Um, later on, we're also going to be hearing about a, uh, a new survey that says Hong Kong students have falling rankings in reading. If you've got any uh, thoughts on either topic, uh, do email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can go to our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Our guests, as we uh, continue the discussion, still with us, uh, Kenny Lamb, who's coordinator of Love Recycling Plus in our Queensway studio. We're also now joined by Shan, Shan Shan Chung, who is program director for the uh, Masters in Environmental and public health at Hong Kong Baptist U. Um, before I go to our guests, uh, let's just bring in some comments from listeners. Um, several comments in a fairly similar vein actually coming in. Uh, Mike says, uh, most illegal dumping in the new territories happens late at night when government inspectors are sound asleep. Hugh says, I have a bad feeling the new design bins will result in more laps up around the bin than inside, mm. which is an issue we have been talking about. Um, and finally, Brett says... Yet again, we hear part of the solution of some problem, in this case with recycling, is educating us, the public. But we're still not finished with getting educated about why we should throw rubbish into a bin instead of anywhere we please. Come on, it's only been, what, nearly 50 years. Give Lapsap Chong, remember Lapsap Chong? Mm. Give Lapsap Chong a chance before we move on to solving the next problem. In the meantime, I hope all these bins that have been replaced, disappeared, will be recycled somehow. Thank you very much, Brett. Sounds sound good. Uh, good morning. Um, so we've discussing the kind of strategy for bin placement uh, in earlier episodes, uh, part of this uh, uh, this uh, back chat today. Uh, what is your What is your view on the kind of bin placement? Uh, we've got to remove them. We've got to move them to different places. We've got to continue to redesign them. Uh, any views on that? Hello. Sansan. Sansan. So you 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 you're you're posing a question to me. Ah yes, I'm posing question to you, to you Sansan. Yeah. How are you? So, so yeah, uh, you mean the recycling bin or the rubbish bin? Uh, uh, both, both on both the bin placements in general for right. both for the refuse and the recycling materials. I mean, right. do we have the right strategy? What changes do we got to make? Uh, I think for the recycling bins, I I actually have uh, already talked to. Uh, uh, the Secretary uh, for Environment and Ecology earlier on, um, on a personal capacity and, uh, and as well as uh, uh, the chairperson of a green group, that um, is, is not correct um, to remove all the, re- uh, the recycling bins in the public simply because um, um, the, the, the authority is, uh, uh, is dissatisfied with um, the quality of the materials in the bin. If they are dissatisfied with the quality of the materials in the bin, they should do something to to make make the quality acceptable rather than just removing the bin. All right? I think the point is that you can't really enforce what people put into the bins when they're just on the streets, whereas if you have recycling centres and people are checking what's, what's, what's brought in. Uh, well, is- not, not really. Uh, you can uh, with um, the advancement of technology. Um, and at the same time, if you think that especially uh, the, the authority is just thinking, uh, uh, usually they, they just quote, oh, the material that is of uh, unacceptable quality is plastic. Okay, in that case, um, what about the paper? What about the metal? So they are acceptable. So why are they? Why are those beans also removed at the same time? Hmm. 
But I mean, if you if you only remove two bins and leave three others, then people are going to stick everything in the other in the remaining three, and it's going to be all mixed up. Well, if this is the case, that means um, the people are littering. They, yep. they they should be fined, all right? So um, there are also uh, uh, um, cameras, uh, CCTVs, uh, surveillance cameras that can be installed. And, and I know that the, uh, um, uh, the, the government has already uh, uh, got some pilot studies, uh, pilot places uh, with um, a surveillance camera um, there. So I guess um, it's, it's just a, a, a matter of chicken and egg. If you still keep avoiding the issue, uh, I think the government now is avoiding the issue uh, rather than uh, directly tackling the, the issue. So one of the reasons why we have so many uh, uh, plastic uh, um, con- cross-contaminated with food and, and many other stuff that needs to be uh, recycled or disposed of is because um, right now we, we are having too many uh, one-off uh, single-use plastics items. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, tackling the root cause and at the same time um, uh, policing at the uh, recycling uh, points. And I I can accept reducing recycling uh, points, but I cannot accept removing all the recycling points uh, at public places. Okay. Uh, well, let's go back to Kenny Lamb is still with us. Um, Kenny Lamb, uh, your thoughts? Because earlier on, you you were more sympathetic to the removal of uh, the, these uh, this, these bins from the streets, weren't you? Uh, yes, that's correct. And I, I also agree that you know that's not um, the perfect solution. But in terms of the recycling bins that I come across, uh, that are contaminated. Um, the, the most important point is that they're not con- contaminated with different materials. Sometimes, you know, when I go past them, I see nappies. I see, you know. Uh, coffee that's been spilled that's gone all over the other materials so that type of contamination um you know it makes the whole recycling bin the content uh, become rubbish so i i think in a way it's a bit of a pointless exercise to put a recycling bin on the roadside that cannot be monitored or cannot be um cannot do the job properly or i can't wash my co- my coffee cup or uh, you know get less, rid of the last remains i mean basically that's what you're saying that when you put things on the roadside it's very hard for people to decontaminate the material before they uh, before they place it you know there's not a wash you can't there's no wash basin that's correct and also food waste if people put food waste in if they dried up it's almost impossible to scrape them off and i want to get to another point about what i do is that i collect from individual people's houses so whether they're from an apartment or say from your house or um, i have a system which i can I can monitor because if I find food waste from your bin or from your bag, I have a direct point of contact. Mm. Um, not not to tell you off, but you know, just to let you know, I, I found some you know leftover food waste in here. So we well, know. I, where... I didn't get that message from you yet, no, so no. I'm doing okay for now. <laughs> uh, how about uh, just on that, uh, Kenny Lamb? I mean, it, we were just actually was just on RTHK yesterday in South yeah. Korea. They now have a system where you have to, when you're recycling, you have to provide your ID card and they scan it and they they link it link it back to you. I mean, do you, you favour that sort of yes, thing? Yes, I, I, I don't particularly favour it, but I think it might be a, a system that we can, it will work in the long term. So, for example, in high-rise building, if they want to recycle, they might have to put it in a bag with their flat number on, uh, take it down to the kind of refuge collection point or the recycling collection point down there. So 
they know where the recycling is coming from. So if there's any problem, it, it's not so much about you know telling people off or fining people, because I realize that in Hong Kong, not everyone knows you know what can be recycled, and not even everyone knows recycling have to be clean. And I think that goes back to the root point that we the government has to educate people that the number one point about recycling is that. Clean recycling is very important. It's not so much work to have to separate paper from, uh, you know, plastic or, or metal, but it's impossible when something is so contaminated with uh, with food waste or stuff that we can't literally clean it out. So I think first, clean recycling, and then secondly, we look at ways of how to, uh, you know, collect them efficiently and easily from from people's mm. houses. Okay, we have a rather interesting email from Eric, putting a question both to our panel and indeed to my um, co-host uh, Paul. It says, uh, can I ask your panel and Paul if there's any mandatory requirement for ca- election candidates to recycle all of their election paraphernalia? As I see along the streets, election candidates with banners, plastic, and handing out reams and reams of paper, which I see further up the road dropped into the waste paper bins. Well, I've certainly done that one. I've had a leaflet and Chinese handed to me. Surely this is an opportunity for the government to communicate the need to recycle, reduce, etc. Well, Paul, you're not an election candidate this time, but you have been many times in the past. Yeah, I know there's no specific requirement on that at all. And no. elections produce huge amounts of... Uh, in- including lit- those banner materials and materials that you cannot recycle very well, indeed. Uh, and, and, and also keeping the environment clean. But uh, uh, candidates would do that to make sure that they're not embarrassed by having their faces on photographs sitting in the, in the trees or in the, in, in, in the, in the bush. So... So it's a sort of self-shaming... That's self-shaming. Yeah, you've got to take of it yourself, uh, take care of it yourself. But if somebody notices that somebody is not doing that, uh, please approach those candidates and speak to them. Okay. Um, Let's go back to uh, Shen Chung. Earlier on, you were talking about how... I think you seem to think the government didn't quite have its priorities uh, right. Uh, Maybe if you just want to summarise what you think the government should be doing in, in, in 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 the general area of recycling. Well, um, at least when they are removing the beans uh, or reducing the number of recycling beans, they should talk to the or required uh, request, uh, if not required, um, the green community stations as well as uh, the green community stores to increase uh, uh, and extend their hours of collection uh, for the outreach points. Right now, most of the outreach points, as far, at least for, for the districts um, that I'm living in, in Yojin Wong, um, they they only come to a point which is uh, close to my home at Tuesday from 2.30 to 5.30, all right? So anyone who is working in the daytime will never be able to enjoy that service. Hmm. And there's another thing with Hong Kong, isn't it? People have small kitchens, and unlike in Europe or in the US or Canada, Australia, you, you can stick things in the garage or you can leave it for the rest of the week and bring it back on, on Saturday. And it, but in Hong Kong, people have to get rid of their materials every day. They, cannot, right. they don't have space for it. Are we, are we designing the system on that basis, or are we kind of too focused on what happens in other parts of the world? Well, um, I actually think that the government is trying to go to the uh, lower co- lowest cost, um, uh, using the lowest cost method uh, to just uh, find a, a make it uh, the solution, which is not really the most desirable one. Uh, as you have pointed out, Hong Kong has many constraints um, in recycling, and I, I, I know that Kenny is, also knows about that. But um, when you look at, look at uh, what other countries are doing, even though they are the, the, the home may be more spacious, like in South Korea, they do not enjoy the level of um, convenience as we do in Hong Kong in waste collection. So most of the Koreans, um, they, the South Koreans, I mean, they, 
even for daily waste, not to mention recyclables, they have to take them down onto the ground floor mm-hmm. to dispose of it. All right. Somet- sometimes out of the building, even though they are paying for it. All right. Let us face this. We are enjoying the most, uh, I, I can even say, the, the most convenient way of um, waste disposal already. And, um, and, and that, that means uh, people are, are not used and they think that it should be convenient uh, even for recyclables uh, mm. as well. So it, it seems that, um, as, uh, well, uh, I know it's, it's a very trite idea, education, but um, it's not just to educate people uh, how to recycle, but also telling them that you have already enjoyed a lot of convenience in the past. Now it's time to change. But that's true, so isn't it? I mean, it, change. Mm-hmm. in Hong Kong, we got more than ten percent of the population are cleaners, household cleaners, building cleaners, street cleaners. So, um, uh, and they have been taking care of recycling, and uh, as far as they have been able to make money out of it, paper and metal, we got a very high recycling and recovery rate. Uh, but for for the items that are, have no value, we see very low. So, is it correct? Can we sell? We take that as an opportunity, working with the cleaners and have a a hand in hand collaboration between the residents and the, the cleaners rather than separate it and force the residents to do something that's maybe more difficult for them and but use yes, that um, benefit? Now, in, in Taipei, I think they, they did. Uh, there is a new uh, profession emerged because of the designated waste back, uh, waste charging policy. Then, uh, because uh, uh, still there are a huge population um, in, in Taipei, they are working in the daytime, so how can they comply with the uh, waste off the ground um, and uh, waste charge rules? Mm-hmm. So they, there is a new profession uh, who is uh, who are specialized in helping the communities to take the waste back down to the ground floor um, for disposal and recycling. So, um, of course, um, this uh, uh, has yet to be um, developed uh, in Hong Kong. And in Hong Kong, I think the, the, even the institutional structure between cleaners and, and residents is, is not in the, in the, in the, in a, on an equal footing. It seems that um, because now I'm, I'm working for my uh, owners in corporate um, for mm-hmm. my building, so I know it's it seems that the residents always want to have uh, uh, lower cost and treat the cleaners as uh, you must clean everything. Um, as long as I, I set out the waste, um, that's of, uh, not my duty anymore. So um, it seems that Hong Kong people, I mean, as, edu- uh, as well as uh, this is go back to education, is we, we, do not need, we do not just need to educate the people how to recycle, right? But we also need to tell them that their responsibility for the waste actually sh- need to be shared mm-hmm. uh, um, um, uh, with a, a more extended uh, uh, period. It's, it's not just uh, I, I set out the waste and off, off you go. I pay for your, for your job and, and, and you, you have to finish it for me uh, at a low cost. So uh, I think the mentality is, is already not right. So uh, there's a long way to go, and I definitely support your uh, poll, your ideas that uh, uh, we should be on a more equal footing to collaborate with the cleaners. But right now, the clean, even the cleaning companies, they, they, they are not cooperative. I, I try to communicate with them, but they seem to be 
not really knowing, especially the upcoming wage charges. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they know nothing about it. I was so worried. But so buildings are going to be responsible. There's going to be a law coming into place where uh, yeah, building that, managers, property managers, end of next year have to have to recycle. Uh, they have to report the recyclables they have collected. Kenny, is uh, this collaboration between kind of recyclers, collectors like yourself, and the cleaners of the households? Is that something that you see in your your business? That uh, one of the communication points is not the residents, but are the cleaners? Uh, yes, I think uh, to reflect on what uh, what she just mentioned, we can just create a new post to deal with recycling for uh, for each housing associations and buildings. I mean, now you have cleaners who deal with all the uh, general rubbish and so on. Uh, when the rubbish charge comes into place, it will be quite easy to appoint somebody uh, who take care of all the recycling materials. Um, that might be a way forward. It just you know. Something That's that came to me. Good idea you, you too. Mean, you mean the company, the cleaning company, has to designate someone to uh, be to, to to be charged with the recyclables. Or the yeah. property manager. Yeah. So the management yeah. company will have to create a new post. It depends on how big your housing estate is. You know, um, one or two or three pops. Uh, people to actually deal with the recyclables. Mm, okay. So you require the residents or the tenants to to separate the recyclables. Cool. But obviously, they might not be clean. They might not be separated in, into different categories and so on. But in in terms of somebody taking care of the recycling, you're going to have to pay less for uh, general rubbish because you're throwing less out. Let's get the property managers coming to yes. the show next time. Danny. Okay, that is an interesting idea. We'll we'll have to draw this uh, discussion to a close. But um, uh, thank you very much, uh, Kenny Lamb, for that interesting idea. Mm-hmm. Kenny Lamb from uh, Love Recycling. Plus for that interesting that idea and fun. indeed all your contribution uh, to the show this morning and our thanks also to San San Chung uh, from um, Hong Kong Baptist U who's joining us in this segment. Stay morning. with us. Operation Santa Claus 2023 is on. The annual charity fundraising drive jointly organized by Radio Television Hong Kong and the South China Morning Post is, for the 36th time, helping those in Hong Kong who need it the most. Operation Santa Claus has raised more than 369 million Hong Kong dollars for over 338 wonderful charity projects over the years. If you would like to help by donating any amount at all or by arranging your own fundraising event, just go to our website for all the details. OSC. CHK.org. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. In the closing segment of this morning's show, we're going to be looking at uh, how Hong Kong has performed in the latest um, survey of student performance. It's called the uh, Programme for International Student Assessment, and it assesses the rankings of school students around the world. Hong Kong's uh, performance, uh, the performance of Hong Kong students rather mixed. Um, uh, this, course, this survey is, is looking uh, for the period during the pandemic, so um, it's very much uh, seen how the pandemic affected um, student learning, and it actually found that uh, Hong Kong students um, they, they managed to keep their ra- rankings in maths. Um, Hong Kong remained fourth out of 81 for uh, different um, uh, jurisdictions who were surveyed for, for maths. Um, and also, actually, in uh, science, it climbed slightly. However, 
in uh, reading or what's called mother tongue literacy, there was a significant decline with uh, Hong Kong falling out of the uh, top 10 for the, in fact, the worst performance uh, uh, since the study had uh, ever been held. So it seems M- like... Mother tongue. Uh, yes. Mother tongue reading. <laughs> yes, well, it's just Chinese like... Uh, I mean, and, oh. and sort of literacy generally. Mm. Um, Hong Kong students performing well in the maths and science during the pandemic, um, but uh, not so good in reading. Mm. Uh, joining us to um, assess these results and talk about how that we can fit them into educational trends generally is uh, Edward Vickers. Edward Vickers is Professor of Comparative Education at Kyushu University, uh, Japan. Uh, good morning, Professor Vickers. Uh, morning, yeah, thanks for having me on. So wh- what do you make of this? Uh, Hong, Kong, uh, Hong Kong students actually do a bit better in, in science during the pandemic and certainly fine in maths, but uh, the literacy uh, de- declines quite, uh, quite severely. Well, yeah, the, I mean, the, the ranking, as you mentioned, in literacy is, uh, I mean, I think Hong Kong has just fallen out of the top 10. I, I, am I right in thinking it, yeah, it's, it's down 11th, to 11th? It's 11th place, yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, I confess I'm a little bit of a PISA skeptic. Uh, <laughs> PISA is this uh, uh, I mean, program for international student assessment, right? PISA. Program for international student assessment, uh, and it compares 15 year olds uh, around the world, um, compares their performance uh, in maths, science, and as you said, yes, mother tongue literacy. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I mean, so these, these are important. Uh, sort of you know areas of knowledge or skills um but they are only part uh, arguably you know a rather small part of what uh, children are learning as they're growing up mm-hmm. or what they're learning indeed in school um and yes uh hong kong's uh, performance on that metric in literacy has fallen but i mean a position of 11th is is hardly uh, disastrous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I'm just so interrupted. I'm just looking at these just in more detail. Hong Kong has actually fallen from fourth to eleventh place. So it's uh, you're right. It's only just outside the top ten, but it is quite a significant fall. Uh, yeah, that is a significant fall. But rather than looking at the ranking, you'd probably want to focus more on the on the on the sort of raw scores. Uh, and. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, any fall in students' uh, performance in something like literacy is a matter for some concern. But actually, I don't think that's the main concern uh, that we should have regarding the educational impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm. And I think basically that's what we're looking at here. What is this, uh, is this a COVID the, impact? Well, if you look at... I think if you look at the scores overall mm. in this latest PISA test, they show uh, a decline everywhere. So, you know, leave aside the rankings for a moment, mm. but the overall scores, uh, I think PISA has reported, are lower than what they would have expected okay, so the were, had it not been right. for, the, for the pandemic. Mm. Uh, and, you know, you would expect that. Uh, but if we're talking about the impact of the pandemic on children, uh, is it a slight fall in measures of competency in maths or indeed literacy that should worry us most? I don't think so. I think what should worry us most about the impact of the pandemic on children is the psychological impact. Sure. Uh, you know, the impact on children of being locked up for weeks, indeed months on end, uh, and in the case of Hong Kong, in sort of tiny flats. I mean, in order to understand, uh, it, you know, if we take that literacy score, 
for a moment. In order to understand what might be behind that, you would need to look at what uh, children were doing during the pandemic. So when they weren't at school. Uh, playing computer games. Uh, uh, that uh, that's what I suspect. International I suspect they, were playing, they were playing computer games. Instead of um, learning Chinese you know, characters. Uh, uh, let, well, me, yes. let me put yes. to you uh, what the uh, project manager of, of uh, this assessment in, in Hong Kong said, um, trying to explain the discrepancy between uh, the uh, good performance in maths and the fall in the score in reading. said, well, for subjects like maths and science, it's easier to self-monitor and check for correct answers. Uh, mm. But um, uh, for languages, people won't ne necessarily notice their... their their skills deteriorating on a day-to-day basis in, in in the same way. You can't you can't sort of test yourself quite in the same way immediately on languages. So, so does that make yeah. sense, Edward Vickers? Well, it does, and and I, and I think if, just just imagine for a moment the situation that families in Hong Kong and indeed in many other places are facing during the pandemic. So you've got parents trying to work from home uh, and supervise their children at the same time. You know, parents uh, exhausted <laughs> by the strains of having to do that. Uh, and, yeah, you know, when, when children are, uh, well, uh, 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 are you sort of uh, remembering your own experience, <laughs> perhaps? Um, and, and, you know, when children are trying to learn, well, perhaps especially a language like Chinese, where, you know, they, they have to spend quite a lot of time practicing the characters, mm -hmm. uh, you know, writing them out. Mm -hmm. They need some supervision. Uh, and you know, parents and teachers in normal circumstances would be working together on that when it's essentially left entirely or almost entirely up to the parents to provide that supervision, you know, something's got to give. Uh, and so I think, you know, that's probably got, you know, something to do with it. To parents taking the line of least resistance during the pandemic, you know, letting their kids spend more time playing computer games than they might otherwise do. Mm -hmm. Uh and you know just not having the the, the energy to to uh make up for the the lack of supervision and instruction do you see uh, gaming uh, Im Im impacting uh, in other countries uh, specific in, in japan or otherwise uh, that gaming has an impact well, on language writing okay. skills and uh, just uh, oratory well, skills and well um so i I, of course, live in Japan. I have school-aged children. I mean, my, my sons are 13 and uh, 8 now, uh, so both in primary school during the pandemic. Now, Japan, uh, compared to pretty much any other country in the world, avoided uh, prolonged school lockdowns. Mm -hmm. So we felt very lucky to be in, in Japan because uh, our, our sons only missed, I think, about five weeks of school. No. Uh, at the very beginning of the pandemic. Five and then weeks the school stayed and the whole, open. whole pandemic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, I, and, and even during those five weeks, uh, you know, observing my eldest son, who was nine at the time, he was crawling up the walls after two or three weeks. <laughs> and he was crying because he was missing his friends. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, this brings me back to the point about the psychological impact being the one that should worry us most. Yeah. Uh, you know, what, what are children getting out of schooling? Okay, yes, they're learning math, they're learning literacy, they're, you know, they're preparing for exams, but is that the main point of schooling or, or should it be? So uh, you, no, I mean, schooling is actually about socialization. So, it's, so, a, it's uh, about 
We've got a minute to go. Uh, parents are listening. Uh, what would you advise them, uh, you know, given that we're out of the pandemic? And would you uh, suggest parents to take an, a remedial course of action of getting the kids out in the mountains or onto the sports pitches or uh, try to de- develop other experiences beyond uh, sitting at home? About 15 or 20 seconds. Uh, uh, well, I, I, I'd encourage parents and I'd encourage government officials and any, anyone involved in education to remember that what's most important to children is being with other children. Mm. That is uh, not teamwork. Sitting in front of an exercise. That board. is a yeah. very good note indeed to end thank on. Uh, thank you very much. That was uh, Professor uh, Edward Vickers from Kyoto University in Japan. And that's all for today. Um, Andrew will be here tomorrow with you again, Paul, I believe. Yes, I'll be back here tomorrow. Okay, so join Andrew and Paul for a back chat tomorrow. <laughs>